To get this episode of Forensic Tales ad-free, check us out at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Forensic Tales discusses topics that some listeners may find disturbing. The contents of this episode may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. A couple from Arlington, Texas, traveled to Cancun, Mexico in July 2021 to celebrate their 10-year wedding anniversary. They planned to spend the week relaxing by the all-inclusive resort's pool and sunny beach. The first day of the trip went just as planned. They arrived at the resort, quickly put away their bags, and headed to the beach. After the beach, it was dinner and drinks. It wasn't until sometime in the middle of the night that this dream vacation turned into an absolute nightmare. This is Forensic Tales, episode number 119, The Story of Elijah Snow. Welcome to Forensic Tales. I'm your host, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. Forensic Tales is a weekly true crime podcast covering real, spine-tingling stories with a forensic science twist. Some cases have been solved with forensic science, while others have turned cold. Every remarkable story sends us a chilling reminder that not all stories have happy endings. Sharing true crime stories isn't just about the story themselves. It's about getting justice for the victims and their families. As a one-woman show, your support helps me find new exciting cases, conduct in-depth fact-based research, produce and edit this weekly show. For supporting the show, you'll get early ad-free access to weekly episodes, exclusive merchandise not available anywhere else, bonus content, shout-outs in episodes, and priority on case suggestions. To learn more about supporting Forensic Tales, consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or by simply clicking the support link in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving a positive rating with a review. Now, let's jump right into this week's case. On Sunday, July 18, 2021, 35-year-old Elijah Snow and his wife Jamie woke up at 3 a.m. to board an early morning flight from Arlington, Texas to Cancun, Mexico. The trip was to celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary. The couple was excited to get away and spend the week at an all-inclusive Mexican resort, enjoying things like unlimited drinks by the pool and fancy dinners together. The trip from Arlington down to Cancun took a little over two and a half hours. Once they arrived in Cancun, they made the 30-minute drive from the airport to their resort. They booked a room at the Royalton Chic Resort and Spa. The Royalton Chic is a five-star, all-inclusive resort in the heart of Cancun's hotel zone. Its website boasts about its exceptional service, stylish architecture, incredible food, and premium cocktails. Most people spend their afternoon down by the pool and then head back to the resort for dinner and drinks. After Elijah and Jamie checked in at the front desk, they received their room keys. 
Once they got to their room, they immediately dropped their suitcases and headed downstairs to begin their vacation. They spent most of the first day at one of the resort's pools, then headed back to the room to get ready for dinner. After they got ready, they had dinner at an on-site Asian restaurant. After dinner, they decided to stop by one of the resort's bars on the first floor for a few drinks. It was the first night of their vacation, so they were thrilled to celebrate. While they were having drinks, they got into a bit of an argument. It wasn't a fight or anything like that. It was a silly argument that I'm sure most married couples get into every once in a while. Plus, they had spent most of the day drinking, which we all know can sometimes lead to petty arguments. Before the argument escalated, Jamie told Elijah that she wanted to go back to the room. She was tired from traveling and it had been a really long day. But instead of going with her, Elijah told her that he wanted to stay at the bar and have one more drink. Jamie was a little concerned about him staying at the bar. They both spent the day drinking and she knew he had a lot to drink, including margaritas by the pool, a bottle of sake at dinner, plus a dirty martini at the bar. Sometime between 9.30 and 10 p.m., Jamie headed back to the room alone, while Elijah stayed at the bar. She knew her husband wouldn't be long because all the bars at the resort closed at 11 p.m. under COVID restrictions. So she thought he'd have one more drink, then the bar would close, and then he would come back to the room. Once Jamie got inside the room, she quickly fell asleep, fully expecting Elijah to come home within the next hour. Jamie woke up several hours later around 4 o'clock in the morning. She rolled over in bed to kiss Elijah but he wasn't in bed. So she got up and looked around the rest of the room, but nothing. She decided to leave the room and began walking around the resort. Maybe he stayed out all night somewhere. However, she thought this would be odd because all the restaurants and bars closed early. After searching the entire resort and still no sign of Elijah, she started to get worried. This was entirely out of character for him, and if he wasn't in the room and everything was closed from the night before, then where could he have gone? Jamie decided to post a message on a private Facebook page she joined for hotel guests. Now, I have joined a few of these groups when my husband and I travel. They are essentially private Facebook groups that allow people to talk about the resort. You can get on there to share and look at photos of the resort. You can find transportation to and from the airport there. And you can even read people's reviews after staying there. So Jamie posted a message in this Facebook group asking if anyone had seen her husband. After waiting a short bit and getting no response, she contacted the resort's security. She told security that she last saw her husband at one of the first floor bars around 9.30 to 10 p.m. the night before, but he never returned to their room. A few security members conducted a search of the resort like Jamie. But they didn't find any sign of Elijah either. The resort was relatively quiet because it was in the early morning while most of its guests were still asleep. If Elijah was anywhere at the resort, they would have found him by now. At 8.30 a.m., Jamie contacted the Cancun police. She told them the same story she told the hotel's security team. 
The officers told her to come to the police station two hours later at 11.30 a.m. So at 11.30 a.m. on the dot, Jamie arrived at the police station. She was ready to file a missing persons report. But officers said that there would be no need. They already found Elijah dead. Elijah was born on August 30th, 1985 in Fort Worth, Texas. He grew up in Arlington and loved to play soccer. He wanted to follow in his father's footsteps and become a firefighter. In 2006, he met his future wife, Jamie, and five years later, in June of 2011, they got married. After graduating from Tartalan State University in 2010 with a nursing degree, he got his dream job. The Arlington Fire Department hired him on as a firefighter. In 2015, Elijah and Jamie welcomed their first child together, a daughter who they named Aubrey. One year later, another daughter came, Hannah. The births of their two children completed their family of four. July 2021 was the couple's 10th wedding anniversary. It was supposed to be a fun vacation for only the two of them. But... Sometimes life has different plans. Mexican police officers told Jamie that they found her husband around 7 o'clock that morning. His body was found stuffed inside a small window at the hotel next door. It was the Sunset Royal. The officers said his arms and torso hung out of the small opening and his feet dangled inside. On the other side of the window was a bathroom. So he had half his body inside the bathroom and the other half outside. Immediately, the Mexican police ruled out foul play. Although Elijah's body was only found a few hours earlier, the officers told Jamie that her husband tried to climb out of the bathroom window, got stuck, and likely suffocated. Completely devastated and confused about how this could have happened, Jamie returned back to her hotel room. Officers told her to return to the hotel until the body was transported to the morgue. Once the body arrived at the morgue, she could come back and officially identify the body. Jamie told Inside Edition that everything started to sink in once she got back to the hotel room. She said, quote, At the police station, I was still in disbelief. It didn't really hit me until they took me back to the hotel and I was in the hotel room by myself waiting to go and identify his body, end quote. Having to identify your husband's body while on vacation for your 10th wedding anniversary is devastating enough. But Jamie's real life nightmare was just beginning. Hey, Forensic Tales listeners, Courtney here. Do you hate listening to ads? Well, you can listen to every single episode of this show ad-free through Patreon, starting for just $3 a month. And what's great? You don't have to change how you listen. You can still enjoy ad-free episodes of Forensic Tales through most podcast apps. As a patron, you'll also get other great perks, like weekly bonus episodes. This is where I give you my reaction to each week's story that I don't share in regular episodes. But more importantly, your support means I can continue to deliver high-quality weekly true crime stories. Don't forget, Forensic Tales is just a one-woman show. 
If you're interested in learning more, go to patreon.com slash forensic tales. That's patreon.com slash forensic tales. There's also a link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Jamie was taken to a local Morgan town to identify Elijah's body. She was accompanied by an employee of the resort. She expected to see her husband spread out on some table when she got there, but that's not what happened. Instead, police officers had her look at photos from the neck up on a computer screen. She told the officers that she wanted to see her husband in person. According to Jamie, the officers said absolutely not. She was not allowed to see him in person. She could only look at the photos provided on the computer screen. When she asked them why she wasn't allowed to, one of the officers said because his death wasn't of natural causes. This officer said everything about Elijah's death pointed towards foul play. Now, this completely contradicts the police's initial story. Because remember, at the police station, when she first learned about Elijah's death, The officers told her that this was an accident and that they didn't believe that foul play was involved. But now at the morgue a few hours later, you've got another officer saying this was murder. This particular police officer assured Jamie that her husband's death would be labeled as, quote, a murder without a suspect on his death certificate, end quote. Jamie said this to People Magazine, quote, I was already confused because they were saying there's no foul play, but then it's murder without a suspect and he's in a window, end quote. The resort employee who accompanied her pulled out her cell phone and while standing next to Jamie, she typed out, do you have money? Question mark. She turned the cell phone in Jamie's direction just enough so that she could read it what it said. What happened next? I can only describe as sick. It makes me absolutely sick to my stomach to even think about this. To see more photos of her dead husband, she paid the police officers $100 in cash each. So for $400, she got to see four photos of Elijah. She then paid another $100 to be allowed to use her cell phone to take a picture of a police photo of Elijah's face from a computer screen. So not only has this woman lost her husband on the first day of what was supposed to be a trip of a lifetime, now she's paying $500 just to get photos of him to try and figure out what happened. So after paying the $500 in cash, Jamie demanded to see more photographs. Most of the pictures the police turned over to her were just of Elijah's face. None of the photos showed the rest of his body. This is weird because if he got stuck in the window like the police said he did, why not take photos of the rest of his body, particularly the middle section of his body that was essentially trapped and stuck in the window. Jamie offered to pay the officers more money for more photos of the rest of Elijah's body, but the officers refused. They simply wouldn't give her any more. 
So Jamie went back to the hotel room and started notifying the family back in Texas. And everyone was stunned when they heard the news. How could a beloved Arlington firefighter and father of two young children end up stuck in a bathroom window? And not even a window at their resort, a bathroom window at a different resort? The following day, Elijah's stepfather, David Ojeski, and a few other family members arrived in Cancun. They booked the first flight out to support Jamie and figure out what was happening. Once David and the other family members arrived, everyone was finally allowed to see Elijah's body in person at a local funeral home. Up until this very point, they had only seen photographs. When they finally got a chance to see him up close and personal, they were shocked by what they saw. His entire body was covered in cuts and bruises. They immediately began taking photographs of the body. They wanted to get as many photos as possible. Since all of this happened, Jamie and her family have made these photos public. So if you're interested in looking at any of these photos for yourself, they're online. I've seen most, if not all, of these, and right away, it is evident that Elijah is covered in injuries. Starting with his back, on his back, he's got several large bruises and a few minor cuts. He's also got more bruising and more small cuts on his forehead right above his eyes. He has a large bruise on what looks to be the upper part of his thigh and on his left leg and another large, dark bruise on his right leg. Many of these bruises are pretty big. It's hard to say exactly how big they are by only looking at the photos, but they're at least, and at least in my perspective, they're at least one to two inches. So they're a decent size. And he's got a lot of them across the front and the back part of his body, as well as on his arms and legs. You might wonder, okay, but is it possible he had these bruises on his body before he died? According to Jamie, no. Her husband didn't have any visible bruises on his body, or at least not as many as he does in these photographs. Otherwise, she said she would have remembered. But you don't necessarily have to take her word for it. The family shared a photo of Elijah on the beach when they arrived in Cancun that day. This photo was taken probably 12 hours before he ended up in the window. This photo shows Elijah standing in the ocean up to about his ankles, which again, this photo is also available online. And in the photo, he's in a bathing suit, so you can see most of his body. And when you look at this photo, there isn't a single bruise on him. The only marks that he has on his body are his tattoos. That's it. So the only way that these bruises got all over his body was sometime after that photo was taken. And again, this first photo of Elijah was taken only 12 hours before he would have died. When I look at these victim photos, my first thought is that This guy was in a fight. He was beaten to a pulp because how else do you get so much bruising if you weren't in a fight? 
I think the most disturbing ones are those on Elijah's back. He's got several large bruises and cuts on the upper half of his back, slightly below his neck. How do you get so many bruises on your back if you weren't in some sort of fight? It's also strange to see the bruising on the inside of his thighs. That's a strange spot to see injuries for someone who got stuck in a window. If you want to know what I'm talking about, I really encourage you to take 5-10 minutes to Google this case and you'll find about 8-10 to photos that the family took that day. Most of the photos I looked at are available on dailymail.com and then you decide if you think these bruises are normal or not. So once Elijah's body arrived at the funeral home, the family also got access to his personal belongings. The Mexican police turned over his wallet, driver's license, fire department ID, and a concealed handgun license. But according to Jamie, there were three things the police did not turn over. One, the rubber wedding band he wore when he traveled. Two, the clothes he wore when he died. And $100 in cash. Jamie specifically remembered that her husband had $100 in cash on him. This is odd, considering all of his credit cards were still in the wallet when the police turned it over. So, only the cash was missing. Let's talk about exactly where this bathroom window was located. So, Elijah and Jamie were staying at the Royalton Chic Suites. To the left of the resort was where Elijah was found at the Sunset Resort. So it would have only been a short walk from the Royalton Sheik to the Sunset Resort. Getting to the neighboring resort would have been relatively easy. But getting to this particular window, not so much. The window where Elijah's body was found is connected to an employee's bathroom. Hotel guests do not have access to it, only hotel employees. It's located at the back of an outdoor theater at the resort. In fact, hotel guests can't even access this part of the outdoor theater. It's only reserved for staff. So if you didn't know it was there, you probably wouldn't even notice it. It's just a tiny window in a dark, secluded hotel theater area. And again, it's not visible to the hotel guests. It would have been tough to see the window because it would have been dark. And he didn't have a flashlight because his iPhone was found back in the hotel room. The window itself is only two square feet. It's a tiny, tiny window. Now, before we talk about the route Elijah would have taken to get to the window, let's talk about Elijah himself. Elijah is not a small guy. According to his family, he's five foot nine and 175 pounds. And he's also very athletic. He's a firefighter who does CrossFit. So he's got some muscle on him. He's a big guy for someone to try and squeeze through a two square foot window. It's it's almost hard to imagine that someone who is five foot nine, 175 pounds, would even think that they could fit into a small window. Of course, of course you're going to get stuck. But when his family saw the window for themselves, 
This only confirmed their suspicions that Elijah didn't get there by accident. Now, going back to how Elijah could have gotten there, we already know that it would have been a short walk from his resort to the Sunset Resort. Interestingly, on the night of his death, there was a live show happening for hotel guests in that outdoor theater of the Sunset Royale. Because of COVID restrictions, the live show ended early, around 10.30 p.m. This means that sometime after the show ended at 10.30 is when Elijah would have made his way over there. But how did he get there? According to Inside Edition, they sent an investigative correspondent to the resort to try and replicate Elijah's path. According to the correspondent, from the beach, The only way to get there is to cross a fenced-off, narrow passageway. He would have had to climb over rocks and then climb down to the window to get there. If he didn't go from the beach, then he might have been able to get there by walking through the sunset's front entrance. But it seems strange that he would have just walked through the front entrance without being a guest of that particular hotel. Besides, even if he did walk through the main entrance, how could he have known where this window was? Remember, I can't stress this enough because it's what makes this story so fascinating is that it's at the rear of the outdoor theater, entirely invisible to hotel guests. Now, I'm going to post photos of the window itself, plus some additional photos of the area to our website, ForensicTales.com, so you can get a better idea of where this tiny window is, and you can see for yourself exactly what I'm talking about. To find out why and how Elijah ended up at this secluded window, the family asked the Royal Tinshik and the Sunset Royal for security footage. If they could find at least one clip showing Elijah that night, that could help explain what happened to him. But when the family approached the resorts, they were met with opposition. The Royalton said they weren't allowed to turn over the resort's security footage to hotel guests. When the family pushed a little harder and asked them, why not? The resort simply said, because there's a death involved. Because this involves a death, you would think that that would be a good enough reason to turn the tapes over. But sadly, not in this case. The family then asked the Sunset Royal for their security footage. But according to that hotel, their cameras weren't working that night. In July 2021, Jamie contacted the U.S. consulate in Mexico to try to get the Royalton security footage. Three months later in October, She finally heard back from them, but it wasn't exactly what she hoped for. The U.S. consulate said they couldn't provide security footage from the resort. They could only give her pictures. Jamie responded by saying, "Okay, that's fine, but I'm going to want still shots of every second from 9 p.m. until 7 a.m. the next day. To this day, Jamie hasn't received a response. The Mexican authorities officially closed the case and ruled Elijah's death an accident. Although they seemed to go back and forth with their investigation, they decided that his death was accidental. Now, what about the cause of death? 
Well, the Quintana Roo State Attorney General's office said mechanical asphyxia due to abdominal compression. In other words, the Mexican authorities say he was simply trying to climb out of a restroom window, got stuck, and suffocated to death. He somehow became trapped and couldn't put his feet on the ground, which gave him no support to release himself from the window. Despite the massive bruising and cuts to Elijah's body, they don't believe foul play was involved. But if this was somehow all just a freak accident, then why? Why did Elijah leave his resort and try to climb through the window of another hotel? If you ask the resorts or the Mexican authorities, they don't know. They say that Elijah was probably just a drunk guy and stumbled his way over there, and they don't understand why he was there. Maybe he had to use the restroom, saw the window, and tried to get in. But if that's what happened and Elijah just had to pee, then why not turn around and go somewhere at your own resort? Why not go to the bar's restroom? Why not just walk upstairs to your own room where your wife is already there and use the restroom there? Why would you walk across the beach into another hotel if you simply just have to go to the bathroom? Yes, he was probably, well, probably intoxicated. He had been drinking all day. But can you become so drunk that you try to climb through the window like that? And then, and then, somehow inflict all those bruises and cuts to your body? Although Mexican authorities believe Elijah's death was an accident, his family wholeheartedly disagrees. The family believes that sometime after the bar closed around 10.30 or 11 p.m., he stepped outside the Royalton and onto the beach. That's when he might have been mugged for the $100 in cash that was in his wallet. Maybe he tried to put up a fight, and that's when he was beaten to death. This would explain the bruising and cuts all over his body. He likely ended up on the ground and was kicked in the stomach and back. When the kicks missed his back and stomach, he was kicked in the thighs, explaining the bruising there. Once he was dead, his attackers then tried to dump his body by pushing it through the window in a secluded area of the neighboring resort. Once they realized Elijah was a big guy and that he wouldn't fit in the window, they left him there, half inside, half outside. And that's how his body remained until hotel staff found him at 7 a.m. and notified the police. Another possible theory is that after beating him, he wasn't dead, but they tried to hide his body. Maybe they looked for bushes or somewhere to leave him but they couldn't find any place to put him that people wouldn't see. And that's when they saw that window. Then once they stuffed him in that window, he suffocated because he couldn't get out on his own. The family also strongly believes that there's been a massive cover-up by the Mexican authorities. In an interview for Dr. Phil's television show, Jamie told Dr. Phil that she's 100% believes there was and is a cover-up. Now, a cover-up would explain a lot of things. Number one, why the police changed their stories. Initially, they said it was an accident. Then another police officer said it was a homicide without a suspect. Number two, 
why the police wouldn't let Jamie see the body or take photographs until it was released to the funeral home. They didn't want her to see the bruises and cuts, because if she did, she would have known right away that this wasn't an accident. Number three, why the police won't investigate this as a homicide. Right from the get-go, they said that this was an accident, even when the forensic evidence didn't support an accident. And finally, number four, why the police told her there was no video showing how Elijah ended up in the window, despite the number of surveillance cameras at both properties. Early on in their pursuit for more answers, the family retained a private attorney. But unfortunately, because this happened in Mexico, there isn't much the U.S. can do. So they turned to a private attorney instead. In the beginning, the attorney helped the family get some more crime scene photos and other documents from the police. But other than that, not much progress has been made in the case. When the family tried to speak with an FBI agent working in Mexico, he said there wasn't much they could do either. The FBI can only get involved if Mexican authorities invite them in, which doesn't seem likely since the local Mexican police believe that Elijah's death was an accident and their investigation is officially closed. But that hasn't stopped Jamie and the rest of their family from trying to find out what actually happened to Elijah. Jamie is now a widow and a single mother to two young daughters in the wake of the tragedy. Although she told People Magazine that she has a great support system at home, it doesn't bring Elijah back. Jamie decided to have her husband's body cremated. But before they did that, the family briefly talked about having the body transported back to Texas for an independent autopsy. In retrospect, this is probably something they should have done. Because an independent autopsy would have looked at how Elijah got those bruises and cuts. A forensic pathologist could have looked at those bruises and determined whether or not they could have gotten there by getting stuck in the window. Because if the injuries didn't come from the window, they must be explained by something else. That's exactly what a second independent autopsy could have shown. But I completely understand the family's decision not to do this. They were told that if they transported his body for an independent autopsy in Texas, that would have delayed the body's release for another few weeks. And by that point, all the family wanted to do was get out of Mexico and get home. So unfortunately, Elijah's body was cremated before a forensic pathologist in the United States could have looked at the body and could have considered another possible cause of death. Elijah's family started a GoFundMe page a few weeks after his death. Money is being raised to help support Jamie and her two young daughters. The money is also being used to continue the investigation. There's also a change.org petition titled Justice for Elijah Snow. The petition reads, quote, the family is asking that President Joe Biden request that the Mexican government allow the FBI to review and assist with the investigation 
into the death of Texas firefighter Elijah Snow on July 19, 2021 in Cancun, Mexico. It says that many U.S. citizens are killed and reported missing every year in Mexico that are not fully investigated. It asks for the U.S. government to finally stand up to Mexico and for President Biden to act on behalf of Elijah Snow and other victims who have either been killed or went missing in Mexico. If you'd like to learn more, visit the petition at change.org, Justice for Elijah Snow. Especially if you don't think this is an accident, I encourage you to do your part and get involved. Right now, the petition has over 12,000 signatures. In an even bigger attempt to get the FBI involved, the family has publicly released post-mortem photos of Elijah's heavily bruised body. These are the photographs that I talked about a little bit earlier in the episode. I have seen these photos myself, and I suggest you go online and check these photos out for yourself. The bruises and cuts to his body truly speak for themselves. The facts are hard to fathom. In today's world, full of cameras, procedures, forensics, and DNA testing, an honest, hardworking firefighter can be found mysteriously dead, stuffed inside a hidden window in a luxury resort, and killed without a sound. The police know nothing. The government refuses to help. All while the victim and the family suffer. I guess, in today's cruel world, sometimes even the forensics aren't enough. To share your thoughts on Elijah Snow's death, be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Forensic Tales. What do you think happened to him? Do you agree with the Mexican officials that this was some sort of tragic accident? Or do you believe in a cover-up? To find out what I think about the case, sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. After each episode, I release a bonus episode where I share my personal thoughts and opinions about the case. You'll want to listen to this one because I'm going to let you know what I think happened to Elijah. To check out photos from the case, including photos of the window, be sure to head to our website, ForensicTales.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Forensic Tales so you don't miss an episode. We release a new episode every Monday. If you love the show, consider leaving us a positive review or tell friends and family about us. You can also help support the show through Patreon. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please join me next week. We'll have a brand new case and a brand new story to talk about. Until then, remember... Not all stories have happy endings. Forensic Tales is a Rockefeller audio production. The show is written and produced by me, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. For a small monthly contribution, you can help create new compelling cases for the show, help fund research, and assist with production and editing costs. In addition, for supporting the show, you'll become one of the first to listen to new ad-free episodes and snag exclusive show merchandise not available anywhere else. To learn about how you can support the show, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or simply click the support link in the show notes. 
You can also support the show by leaving a positive review or spreading the good word about us. Forensic Tales is a podcast made possible by our Patreon producers, Tony A., Nicole L., David B., Paula G., Selena C., Nicole G., Christine B., Karen D., Nancy H., and Jim C. If you'd like to become a producer of the show, head to our Patreon page or send me an email at Courtney at ForensicTales.com to find out how you can become involved. For a complete list of sources used in this episode, please visit ForensicTales.com. Thank you so much for listening. Your support means the world to me. I'll see you next week. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings. 